We're continuing in a series called For the Life of the World, and this answers the question, what is our faith for? What is our faith for? And the answer is, our faith is not just so that we have salvation, right? We kind of hyper-individualize our relationship with God. Our faith is not just for us, it's for the life of the world. We are called to be a blessing to the world around us, and we are called to make an impact on the world around us because God's original plan for the creation was to bless the world. God created the world to bless the world, and so God has not abandoned this world, even though the world is fallen because of sin, and at times seems very dark and cold. And so we're continuing our sermon this morning is called Sabbath as Resistance. Resisting the world, resisting the culture, and, but also being a blessing to the culture by demonstrating what the life of the covenant people of God look like. And so let's read Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For, and this is key, in six days the Lord made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Let's pray. Father, now thank you for the grace that you have poured out on us in that you have invited us into your family through your son Jesus. Jesus has brothered us and brought us in as adopted children into the family of God. Teach us now what it means to be the people of God, and Lord, let us look to Christ as that example. Father, we thank you now. Transform our hearts, convict us, and convince us of the truth of the word, and let us leave this place differently than the way we came in. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Well, the last sermon we preached in this series was on the blessing of work. We talked about how work is a gift, contrary to the concept that work is somehow a curse, as if in heaven all we're going to be doing is like lounging around, right? Presumably that in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll still have work to do, but it'll be the kind of life-giving work that God originally intended for Adam. So Adam, before the fall, didn't just sit around like a couch potato. He had work to do. But after the fall, the earth and the soil fought him and made his work difficult. And so we talked about the blessing and value and the joy of work and even commercial exchange because in commercial exchange and transaction, relationships are forged, and God is pleased with that. And so this sermon is a sermon about balancing the rhythms of work with rest, about knowing our limits and resisting, resisting the temptation to treat every day as the other, resisting the temptation to treat every single day as the same, all right, Sabbath as resistance. And the idea is that time, like work, is a gift from God. It is not a problem to be solved. Now, we treat time much different than ancient people or even people from 150 years ago. 
Because for us, in our culture, time is money. And we invent time-saving devices. I saw recently some ads from newspapers from the 1950s and 60s, or even the 1940s, where there is you know, a person you know, excited about this new time-saving device called an oven, you know, or new time-saving devices, you know, a washing machine. You know, and, and these were revolutionary things because they could uh, allow you to do other things while work is being done. We invent time-saving devices that allow us to do more and to get more done. And we now get so much done that we even have time to kill, but our time, our downtime now is something we still even treat as work because we have to figure out ways to pass the time instead of simply just enjoying or sitting in the time. We are figuring out ways. We're busy about how to kill time. Now, writing about this very thing, Alexander Schmiemann, who I mentioned a few weeks ago, who wrote the book, For the Life of the World, he says this, is it not true that the more time-saving devices we invent, the less time we actually have? The old rhythms of work, where you could only perform one task at a time manually, which forced us to slow down and be entirely focused on one thing and not 20. Right? So 150 or 200 years ago, whatever it was that you did, it was usually, that was the only thing you were focusing on at the moment. Now we are probably focused on 10, 20, or 30 things, and our devices don't help in that regard as much of a blessing as the technology of our devices can be. There are, we are constant. There's an email, a text message, a phone call. Besides the work that you're doing, there's always a million things going on, and so it is hard for us to slow down. It is hard for us to singularly focus on one thing. I know a pastor in Virginia who a part of his work week, him and the elders have agreed that one day of the week he does manual labor and he is not available on his phone. So he finds something or someone in the community who needs help, maybe a local farmer or whatever it is, and he spends an entire day digging ditches or you know, gathering, I don't know what, you know, but planting plants, I don't know what he's doing, but he, he, he sees the value in just manual labor where he can be focused on nothing else but physical activity. And as I grow, I, 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 I kind of long for that. I walked up to our uh, neighbor across the street who owns a landscaping company, and I'm off on Fridays, and I said, hey, do you think you could use some help this summer? And he said, yeah, absolutely, I can always use some help. I said, well, I'll, I'll let you know. I didn't sign up right there on the spot. But <laughs> I said, I'll get back to you. Because the idea is appealing of something that can focus me singularly. But the ancient church ordered its life around a calendar of feasts and seasons and cycles around, around prayer. They had a better grip of time than better grasp of time than we do, I think. And the years and the weeks were designed to be lived out in rhythms of work and celebration and renewal. So not every day and every week and every month was the same. There were seasons and festivals and times of life that were different than the others. And um, they were healthy because these times and seasons were earthy. They recognized the seasons of life. They affirmed and celebrated the world for what it is, for, way, for the way God made it to be. 
But somehow, the more spiritual the church has become, the more time has ceased to matter. We kind of figure that, well, God and the kingdom are eternal, and God is beyond time. And so the church, at some point, just started focusing on nothing but eternity. It's just all, it's not about here, it's just all about going to heaven. It's all about that one day we'll be with God forever. So what we do here matters, but it doesn't really matter. And so our cycles and rhythms and seasons of time sort of cease to matter. And, and in the process, we've made time kind of meaningless. Because every single day looks the same, feels the same, because we're busy, 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 going, 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 going. It never stops. And even on the days we're supposed to be resting, we're still doing a million things. And so time has somewhat ceased to have this natural rhythm of balance to the busyness and chaos. And ever since that's happened, we've been left with a crisis of time, how to spend our time. We intersperse our work with leisure time, fooling us into thinking we're getting lots of breaks, but we never truly feel rested, if I can put it that way. Right? We're working, we're working, we're working, and at the same time, we're checking things, we're cruising you know, websites and playing games or something, I don't know. And when we're supposed to be resting, we don't truly feel rested because we're always distracted. But this is why, more than ever, we need Sabbath. We need Sabbath. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that Sabbath keeping became prominent, really became prominent, um, at least in the popular imagination of Jewish religion in a broad sense, when the Jews went into exile. So you know a little bit, if you don't know, the story in 590 uh, BC, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and Judah and carted off much of the population to Babylon. And so Sabbath keeping became a way for the Jews to maintain their Jewish identity in an empire situation that wanted to destroy their peculiar identity. Let me focus on that statement. Sabbath keeping became a way for the Jews in exile to maintain their identity in an empire that was intent on destroying it. For them, Sabbath becomes, in part, this visual performance of Jewish identity that contrasts the way Jews organize their time to the, time, to the rest of the empire around them. In other words... Sabbath was for them a way of resisting the pagan influences around them. And so I want us to see this, number one, first and foremost. Sabbath is an act of resistance. It is a subtle but powerful way to resist the forces of this world, which would essentially sort of whitewash our Christian identity and cause the rhythms of our life to be just like the rhythms of the world around us. Now the, world, the word Sabbath in Hebrew, Shabbat, means to cease, and it's always in contrast to some type of labor or doing something. In other words, 
the 30-year-old bachelor who's unemployed, who's in his mom and dad's basement playing video games all, all day, he is not on Sabbath, all right? He's just lazy. That is not Sabbath, okay? Sabbath is always defined in contrast to some type of activity or productivity or work. And so that's what Sabbath is. Sabbath means to cease from something that you need rest from so that you can be refreshed. Of course, the idea is you're going to go back to that activity, right? You get rest, you're rejuvenated, and then you're refreshed, hopefully, because you're going to go back and engage that work or that activity. Now, several places in the Bible command Sabbath um, start with saying that at creation, even God himself rested. I want us to see, number two, that Sabbath puts us in sync with creation. In Genesis 1, it says that God saw creation as good, very good, and he rested and made the seventh day holy. God saw that creation was good. Six days he labored, and the seventh day he rested. In fact, on that seventh day, it was so special that he made that day holy, it says in Genesis 1. In Exodus 20, we just, the passage we just read. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, you, Sabbath day, you should not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, your alien residents in your town. For six days the Lord God made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Now, when you think about this, I want you to put your, as my second grade teacher used to say, put your thinking caps on. When you think about this for a moment, and many of us probably haven't thought about this, but when you think about and look at the infinite complexity of the cosmos, I wanted a slide that showed like, you know those images you can see online, those like Hubble telescope images? So just imagine it's up on the screen, okay? It's not... But just imagine like this image on the screen of like a Hubble telescope of like billions of stars, just, you know, you know, tens of thousands of light years away. And if you think about the complexity of the cosmos, it's not hard to imagine that it was a lot of work for God to imagine it all up. We think, oh, that's well, just a metaphor. I mean, it wasn't hard work for God. Why? Why is it a metaphor? Why would we think that it was not hard work for God to imagine up this master plan of the cosmos? Well, Jordan, the Bible says he just spoke it into existence. That doesn't mean he didn't plan it first. Sure, he spoke it into existence, but it doesn't mean that God didn't work hard to come up with a plan. In fact, I think this is exactly what the text is trying to tell us that creation was very, very hard work. Yes, he spoke it into existence, but it was the result of a complex, infinitely complex master plan. Now, later on in Exodus 31, it says, now get this, the Lord God made heaven and earth, and in six days, and on the seventh day, rested and was refreshed. It doesn't just say that God rested, on the seventh day, it says that God himself was refreshed. What does that mean? God needed to be refreshed? Apparently so. 
God also needed refreshment. It is more than just a metaphor. It is a pattern of existence. And this pattern of rest and refreshment is seen in all of creation. Have you ever wondered at the fact that, like, all creatures rest? This is actually something scientists are somewhat bewildered about, that all organisms on some level need rest. All organisms. Yes, I mean, even the horse in the field standing up is taking a break. All organisms need rest. This is actually something I've thought about, too. Like, why do we need sleep? Why, why, do, we need, why do animals need sleep? Like, why can't we just live until we die? But apparently, there is something about this rhythm of working and resting and working and resting and working and resting. And even the earth itself goes through this. In fact, we're, we're about to come out of a season of rest for, the, for our, our region, right? The winter comes, it gets dark, and it's like the earth gets sleepy for a while. And the grass and the trees go dormant for a while. And then in spring, they come back to life again. Now, living beings, we need rest, obviously, from a kind of a biological standpoint, because our cells get depleted. Both physically, emotionally, and mentally, we need rest to be revived and refreshed. So we can see that creation itself has this rhythm of work and rest. Again, Sabbath puts us in sync with creation. It has a rhythm set. Creation has a rhythm of work and rest. Now, our society is a um, model example of systemic violation of Sabbath. The hustle bustle of our culture. It, it is just a perfect model of violation of Sabbath because it's, it's just nonstop. And some of you, depending how old you are, you may remember a time when businesses were closed on Sundays. But that's long gone. And more than ever, because of this kind of nonstop activity that our lives impose on us, um, we're overextended. We're fatigued. We're cranky. We're inhospitable. You think, I don't think I'm inhospitable. Well, it's the last time you invited, you know, a neighbor family over for dinner, right? I mean, we're just too busy. Even people we like, you know, we don't invite over for dinner often because... Our lives are just crazy busy, you know? And so it makes us inhospitable. It makes us cranky. I told you about the road rage incident a few weeks ago. I mean, no doubt, right? You know, we get cranky. But Sabbath keeping puts us in sync with creation. Now, I want to define Sabbath for a moment, not just as rest, or else we'd have a little bit of Sabbath every time we went to bed at night and this discussion is over. But Sabbath is not just dozing off. Sabbath is not just taking a rest. I'm defining it the way the Bible does, as a day for physical, mental, and spiritual refreshment that resists the temptation to engage in the anxiety of chaos the world tells us we have to live by 24-7. I recently heard uh, John Stewart, who used to host a daily show, critique the 24-hour news channels. And he talked about this sense of chaos, this not chaos, this sense of constant anxiety that we believe we have to be given to because apparently there is so, the news in the world is so important that you have to have 24-hour access to it. 
And he was critiquing the 24-hour news channels, with, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, all these, because it's just constant, this like round-the-clock idea that your life has to be informed every single second of every single day nonstop. Here's what's instructive for us to see. That Sabbath resists that anxiety of chaos. The reason that Sabbath is an act of resistance because it says to this world's nonstop anxiety and kind of chaotic atmosphere of busyness, no. It resists it. It resists the anxiety of chaos. Now, when we read that God took a Sabbath, it teaches us that he's not a workaholic, for you workaholics in the room. God is not a workaholic. Nor was God anxious that creation would all fall apart on the seventh day because he rested. And those are lessons for us. Because we have anxiety sometimes that things are going to fall apart. We have anxiety um, that if we are not giving everything our constant attention, that things, somehow there's going to be some kind of disaster. And the idea behind that is that we also can rest and take comfort in the knowledge that it's not all going to fall apart. That God has created the world in such a way to continue even though there is a day of rest. And this was radical stuff in the ancient Near East when the book of Exodus was written. Why was it radical stuff? Well, number one, pagan cultures didn't have a work week. They didn't have a weekend. And so the idea that there was a day out of the week where you would do no work was radical. In fact, this, this concept of Sabbath, right out of the gate in the Hebrew scriptures itself may have been one of the most dissonant ideas in the, in the Jewish religion besides the idea that there was only one God. There's only one God. You know, what kind of famished religion do you have? We've got gods for everything. You've got one God? Oh, yeah, and not only that, there's a day of the week where not just the rich and the wealthy and the powerful, but the common man can take a day off. What? That's crazy. Right? This is like radical stuff. And for us, we're just like, yeah, of course. We all get weekends. I mean, now you can take a three-day weekend if you work four, ten-hour shifts. I mean, it's... Again, this is how the idea of like what's in the Bible is so foreign to us because it's so ancient and so different. But this was radical stuff that every person had a day of rest where they did not have to have anxiety that they were going to starve to death. And this is why the phrase in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is so amazing. Right? On the Sabbath, give us this day our daily bread. I'm not working today, right? Because in ancient cultures where the vast majority of people lived hand to mouth, which means you worked, and at the end of the day, you were given bread and you put it right in your mouth. And you had to go back to work the very next day to get more bread, right? We've got pantries and, you know, freezers for extra meat in the basement. That is not what was going on here. So this idea, give us this day our daily bread, is also a radical idea. That on the days that you are resting in God, God is still going to give you bread. 
That's amazing. Now, for us, that is not our challenge. Most of us are not worried about our next meal, but there are ways in which we ought to think about how can I trust God for other things like my daily bread, things that are like that, things that I feel that I have to secure on my own all the time through my own energy and work that I can release and say, no, God will supply this. It might be joy, it might be peace, it might be something else, sense of fulfillment, satisfaction. But the idea is that whatever it is, God is the one that can supply those needs. God is the one who supplies those needs. Obviously, the weekend that we, we have now is, was a Jewish thing and later a Christian thing. There were fixed holidays, and I don't want to go on and on, but essentially this idea of Sabbath for all people was this incredible act of equality from God. So what's the application for us today? Well, your life is not going to fall apart because you stop everything one day of the week. And I want to say this. I said a minute ago that Sabbath is not just rest. Well, then what is Sabbath? Well, it is worship, it is mercy, acts of mercy, and rest together. And so I want to, like, I just want to push back against the idea that, well, I had a Sabbath on Wednesday. I didn't go to church, but I had a Sabbath on Wednesday. And I just want to say, no, you didn't. I'll tell you why. Because in the Old Testament, the Old Testament concept of Sabbath involved rest and worship and acts of mercy. And so when the people of God came together, all of these things were happening on this special day where there was worship because it wasn't just about physical refreshment, right? If you want to be physically refreshed, you take a nap. But if you need spiritual refreshment, well, that happens through the means of grace with the people of God as we lift up our voices and sing, as we worship together and as we hear the preached word. And so man is not just a physical being. We are spiritual beings, and we need spiritual refreshment. And there's also the idea of acts of mercy, that on the Lord's Day we are engaged in ways to think about uniquely and pour out mercy toward one another. So Sabbath is rest, it is worship, it is acts of mercy for the purpose of refreshment. Sabbath is rest, it is worship, it is acts of mercy for the purpose of refreshment. Because in our culture of greed and materialism, Sabbath says, I trust you, God, for my daily bread. And the challenge for all of us, I think, and the application for all of us is to think of ways that we could entrust our lives more to God on this day of the week. Now, I said acts of mercy. We have some people in the medical industry. Now, that counts. So caring for human beings does not violate the idea of Sabbath because people get sick and there are emergencies. And so I don't want to get into, and my sermon is not going to lead into, here are 10 ways you're sinning against keeping the Sabbath. I want to redirect that. I want to say that when we think about Sabbath, we should think about how to trust God for our daily bread in an age of anxiety. 
how to trust God and say, I'm not going to fear that everything is going to fall apart because I put aside a day where I'm not going to do everything I do the rest of the week. I'm going to be with the people of God today. I'm going to slow my life down and focus singularly on the rest that you desire for me to have. Do you have anxiety? Are you run down? Do you feel fatigued? Are you worrying, cranky, inhospitable? Sometimes at least, you need Sabbath. (coughs) And in our post-Christian culture, Sabbath is a way of maintaining, like the Jews in exile, their identity, we are maintaining our baptismal identity as Christians. It is a way of resisting this culture. It is a way of resisting this world. It is a way of not treating every single day like the other, but recognizing that we are made in the image of God, and just as God rested, we need rest. We live in a culture of now. Everything always demands your immediate attention. And Sabbath says, nah, no it doesn't. I can, I can check out of my email for a minute, for a day. I can come back to this. The world's not going to fall apart because I didn't give everything, all of my attention immediately. Now, there's always this debate between Christians about whether the Sabbath is an ongoing command. How many of you have heard this before? Well, do we keep the Sabbath? Is it different? I don't think we have to keep the Sabbath anymore. Right? You've heard this before, okay? Um, Whether we have to obey it now that we're in the new covenant. But to me, this completely misses the point, and I'm going to tell you why. It treats the Sabbath as something that has passed away with the idea of the works of the law. It treats the Sabbath as a work, and it's not. And this is where Jesus came into conflict with the Pharisees. Jesus came into conflict with the Pharisees because they were treating the Sabbath as just another work of the law that had to be kept to gain God's approval. And Jesus said, you're thinking about this all wrong. You got it all wrong. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. This is, this is not about all of the rules you have to keep to earn God's approval. Check, 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 check. Oh, you, you, you picked grain because someone was hungry. Oh, you pulled your, your donkey out of a ditch. Oh, no. You know, you're a sinner. Jesus was like, you got, you got it all wrong. You're thinking about this all wrong. It is in the law, but it's not a work. It's a command not to work, but to rest from works. And this is where the Christological focus of my sermon is going to come into play here, okay? The Sabbath is a command to rest from our labors, to rest from our works. Phil Riken in his commentary says, Sabbath is such an important concept, it takes a commandment to make us rest. So when we look at it, we shouldn't look at it as just one more thing we have to do. We should look at it as one more thing we don't have to do. That's what Sabbath is about. It's about not doing things. It's not about having another new laundry list of things you have to do. And when Paul says in Colossians 2, therefore let no one judge you in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, he's not saying the Sabbath was abolished. Yeah, it has transformed. It looks differently in the new covenant for sure. 
but he's saying that the Sabbath cannot be used to judge someone else's righteousness because it was never meant for that. Don't let anyone judge you with regard to a new moon, a festival, or a Sabbath, because that's not what the Sabbath is for. That's not what those things are for. Those things are for your rejuvenation, your rest and refreshment. He doesn't say Sabbath is obliterated, it has no relevance for our life anymore because we're saved in Christ. That's not what he says. He just says, don't let anyone judge you based on the Sabbath because that's not what it's for. And then the very next verse, look at the next verse. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And here's where it all wraps up, okay? The Sabbath points to the fact that in Christ we cease from our works. We can rest from the pressure of performance. Isn't it interesting that one of the most powerful statements, the most memorable statements, one of the most memorable statements of Jesus is in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look, our lives in Christ are about recognizing that we cannot earn God's favor, that we cannot perform in such a way that God will accept us because of how good we are. In fact, Jesus says, rest from those labors. Come to me, all you who are heavy, laden, and weary, and I will give you rest. In Christ, we rest from our labors to measure up the works of the law, to be righteous. Because Christ performed the law for us. And so the substance of the Sabbath is Christ because, as it says in Hebrews, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He did something no priest had ever done before. He rested from his labors, giving us rest from ours. Again, are you anxious, stressed, and worried? Are you guilt-ridden that you're not holy and righteous enough in God's sight? All you have to do is trust in the rest that is offered by God in his son Jesus. We are offered rest in Christ. Are you fatigued and tired? Does your life feel chaotic? Rest in Christ. This day really is just pointing towards that. This time that we come together is not only an act of resistance to the world, refusing to partake in the anxiety of chaos, but it points toward the ultimate and eternal rest that we will have in Christ that is secured for us. It points toward that. There is a Sabbath rest that still remains. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says, there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us rest in the finished work of Christ. And let us continue weekly resting as a way to resist the chaos of this world and the pressure to treat every other day like the other because after all, we are the people of God. We are the baptized body, pointing towards that eternal rest that only comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 
Father, now we thank you, O God, for the knowledge that you allow us to cease from our labors and rest. You have told us, O God, to come to you, and in your Son we find rest that is offered nowhere else. And in a world, Lord, that we live in now, which is so busy and so chaotic, and often right after church, if we come, we go right back to the busyness and the chaos and the errands and the work that we engage in the rest of the week. And so when we go back to work on Monday, we don't feel rested because we have not truly been refreshed. Help us, O God, to take advantage of this liberty, this joy, this gift of time to rest with the knowledge, O God, that we will one day enter your eternal rest because of the finished work of Christ, which he rested from. In Jesus' name, amen.